Section 17 of The Chorus Girl and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. The Chorus Girl and Other Stories by Anton Chekhov. Translated by Constance Garnett. A Trivial Incident. It was a sunny August midday as, in company with the Russian prince who had come down in the world, I drove into the immense so-called Shabelsky pine forest, where we were intending to look for woodcocks. In virtue of the part he plays in this story, my poor prince deserves a detailed description. He was a tall, dark man, still youngish, though already somewhat battered by life, with long moustaches like a police captain's, with prominent black eyes and with the manners of a retired army man. He was a man of oriental type, not very intelligent, but straightforward and honest, not a bully, not a fop, not a rake, virtues which in the eyes of the general public are equivalent to a certificate of being a nonentity and a poor creature. People generally did not like him. He was never spoken of in the district except as the illustrious duffer. I personally found the poor prince extremely nice with his misfortunes and failures, which made up indeed his whole life. First of all, he was poor. He did not play cards, did not drink, had no occupation, did not poke his nose into anything, and maintained a perpetual silence but yet he had somehow succeeded in getting through thirty to forty thousand roubles left him at his father's death god only knows what had become of the money all that i can say is that owing to lack of supervision a great deal was stolen by stewards bailiffs and even footmen a great deal went on lending money giving bail and standing security there were few landowners in the district who did not owe him money. He gave to all who asked, and not so much from good nature or confidence in people as from exaggerated gentlemanliness, as though he would say, Take it and feel how comel for I am. By the time I made his acquaintance, he had got into debt himself had learned what it was like to have a second mortgage on his land, and had sunk so deeply into difficulties that there was no chance of his ever getting out of them again. There were days when he had no dinner, and went about with an empty cigar holder, but he was always seen clean and fashionably dressed, and always smelt strongly of ilang-ilang. The prince's second misfortune was his absolute solitariness. He was not married, he had no friends nor relations. His silent and reserved character and his comilfort deportment which became the more conspicuous the more anxious he was to conceal his poverty, prevented him from becoming intimate with people. For love affairs he was too heavy, spiritless, and cold, and so rarely got on with women. 
when we reached the forest this prince and i got out of the chaise and walked along a narrow woodland path which was hidden among huge ferns but before we had gone a hundred paces a tall lank figure with a long oval face wearing a shabby reefer jacket a straw hat and patent leather boots rose up from behind a young fir tree some three feet high as though he had sprung out of the ground the stranger held in one hand a basket of mushrooms with the other he playfully fingered a cheap watch-chain on his waistcoat on seeing us he was taken aback smoothed his waistcoat coughed politely and gave an agreeable smile as though he were delighted to see such nice people as us then to our complete surprise he came up to us scraping with his long feet on the grass bending his whole person and still smiling agreeably lifted his hat and pronounced in a sugary voice with the intonations of a whining dog ay ay gentlemen painful as it is it is my duty to warn you that shooting is forbidden in this wood pardon me for venturing to disturb you though unacquainted but allow me to present myself i am grontovsky the head clerk on madame kandurin's estate pleased to make your acquaintance but why can't we shoot such is the wish of the owner of this forest the prince and i exchanged glances a moment passed in silence the prince stood looking pensively at a big fly agaric at his feet which he had crushed with his stick grontovsky went on smiling agreeably his whole face was twitching exuding honey and even the watch-chain on his waistcoat seemed to be smiling and trying to impress us all with its refinement a shade of embarrassment passed over us like an angel passing all three of us felt awkward nonsense i said only last week i was shooting here very possible grontovsky sniggered through his teeth as a matter of fact everyone shoots here regardless of the prohibition but once i have met you it is my duty my sacred duty to warn you i am a man in a dependent position if the forest were mine on the word of honour of a grontovsky i should not oppose your agreeable pleasure but whose fault is it that i am in a dependent position the lanky individual sighed and shrugged his shoulders i began arguing getting hot and protesting but the more loudly and impressively i spoke the more mawkish and sugary grontovsky's face became evidently the consciousness of a certain power over us afforded him the greatest gratification he was enjoying his condescending tone his politeness his manners and with peculiar relish pronounced his sonorous surname of which he was probably very fond standing before us he felt more than at ease but judging from the confused sideway glances he cast from time to time at his basket 
only one thing was spoiling his satisfaction the mushrooms womanish peasantish prose derogatory to his divinity we can't go back i said we have come over ten miles what's to be done sighed grontovsky if you had come not ten but a hundred thousand miles if the king even had come from america or from some other distant land even then i should think it my duty sacred so to say obligation does the forest belong to nadezhda lvovna asked the prince yes nadezhda lvovna is she at home now yes i tell you what you go to her it is not more than half a mile from here if she gives you a note then i i needn't say <laughs> by all means i agreed it's much nearer than to go back you go to her sergey Ivanch, i said addressing the prince you know her the prince who had been gazing the whole time at the crushed agaric raised his eyes to me thought a minute and said i used to know her at one time but it's rather awkward for me to go to her besides i am in shabby clothes you go you don't know her it's more suitable for you to go i agreed we got into our chaise and followed by grontovsky's smiles drove along the edge of the forest to the manor-house i was not acquainted with nadezhda lvovna kandurin ne shabelsky i had never seen her at close quarters and knew her only by hearsay i knew that she was incredibly wealthy richer than anyone else in the province after the death of her father shabelsky who was a landowner with no other children she was left with several estates a stud farm and a lot of money i had heard that though she was only twenty-five or twenty-six she was ugly uninteresting and as insignificant as anybody and was only distinguished from the ordinary ladies of the district by her immense wealth it has always seemed to me that wealth is felt and that the rich must have special feelings unknown to the poor often as i passed by nadezhda lvovna's big fruit garden in which stood the large heavy house with its windows always curtained i thought what is she thinking at this moment is there happiness behind those blinds and so on once i saw her from a distance in a fine light cabriolet driving a handsome white horse and sinful man that i am i not only envied her but even thought that in her poses in her movements there was something special not to be found in people who are not rich just as persons of a servile nature succeeded in discovering good family at the first glance in people of the most ordinary exterior if they are a little more distinguished than themselves nadezhda lvovna's inner life was only known to me by scandal it was said in the district that five or six years ago before she was married during her father's lifetime she had been passionately in love with prince sergey ivanitch 
who was now beside me in the chaise. The prince had been fond of visiting her father, and used to spend whole days in his billiard-room, where he played pyramids indefatigably till his arms and legs ached. Six months before the old man's death he had suddenly given up visiting the Shabelskys. The gossip of the district, having no positive facts to go upon, explained this abrupt change in their relations in various ways. Some said that the prince, having observed the plain daughter's feeling for him and being unable to reciprocate it, considered it the duty of a gentleman to cut short his visits. Others maintained that old Shabelsky had discovered why his daughter was pining away and had proposed to the poverty-stricken prince that he should marry her, the prince imagining in his narrow-minded way that they were trying to buy him together with his title, was indignant, said foolish things, and quarrelled with them. What was true and what was false in this nonsense was difficult to say, but that there was a portion of truth in it was evident from the fact that the prince always avoided conversation about Nadezhda Lvovna. I knew that soon after her father's death Nadezhda Lvovna had married one Kandurin, a bachelor of law, not wealthy, but adroit, who had come on a visit to the neighborhood. She married him not from love, but because she was touched by the love of the legal gentleman who, so it was said, had cleverly played the lovesick swain. At the time I am describing, Kandurin was, for some reason, living in Cairo, and writing thence to his friend, the marshal of the district, notes of travel, while she sat languishingly behind lowering blinds, surrounded by idle parasites, and whiled away her dreary days in petty philanthropy. On the way to the house, the prince fell to talking. It's three days since i have been at home he said in a half whisper with a sidelong glance at the driver i am not a child nor a silly woman and i have no prejudices but i can't stand the bailiffs when i see a bailiff in my house i turn pale and tremble and even have a twitching in the calves of my legs do you know rogozhin refused to honour my note the prince did not, as a rule, like to complain of his straitened circumstances. Where poverty was concerned, he was reserved and exceedingly proud and sensitive, and so this announcement surprised me. He stared a long time at the yellow clearing, warmed by the sun, watched a long string of cranes float in the azure sky, and turned facing me and by the 6th of September I must have the money ready for the bank. The interest for my estate, he said aloud, by now regardless of the coachman. And where am I to get it? Altogether, old man, I am in a tight fix, an awfully tight fix. The prince examined the cock of his gun, blew on it for some reason, and began looking for the cranes, which by now were out of sight. Sergey Ivanch, I asked after a minute's silence, imagine if they sell your Shatilovka, what will you do? 
I? I don't know. Shatilovka can't be saved, that's clear as daylight, but I cannot imagine such a calamity. I can't imagine myself without my daily bread secure. What can I do? I have had hardly any education. I have not tried working yet. For government service it is late to begin. Besides, where could I serve? Where could I be of use? admitting that no great cleverness is needed for serving in our zemstvo, for example, yet I suffer from the devil knows what, a sort of faint-heartedness. I haven't a hapworth of pluck. If I went into the service, I should always feel I was not in my right place. I am not an idealist. I am not a utopian. I haven't any special principles, but am simply i suppose stupid and thoroughly incompetent a neurotic and a coward altogether not like other people all other people are like other people only i seem to be something a poor thing i met naryagin last wednesday you know him drunken slovenly doesn't pay his debts stupid the prince frowned and tossed his head. A horrible person, he said to me, staggering, I'm being balloted for as a justice of the peace. Of course they won't elect him, but you see, he believes he is fit to be a justice of the peace and considers that position within his capacity. He has boldness and self-confidence. I went to see our investigating magistrate, too. The man gets 250 rubles a month and does scarcely anything. All he can do is to stride backwards and forwards for days together in nothing but his underclothes. But ask him. He is convinced he is doing his work and honorably performing his duty. I couldn't go on like that i should be ashamed to look the clerk in the face at that moment grantovsky on a chestnut horse galloped by us with a flourish on his left arm the basket bobbed up and down with the mushrooms dancing in it as he passed us he grinned and waved his hand as though we were old friends blockhead the prince filtered through his teeth looking after him it's wonderful how disgusting it sometimes is to see satisfied faces. A stupid animal feeling due to hunger, I expect. What was I saying? Oh, yes, about going into the service. I should be ashamed to take the salary, and yet, to tell the truth, it is stupid. If one looks at it from a broader point of view, more seriously, I'm eating what isn't mine now, am I not? But why am I not ashamed of that? It is a case of habit, I suppose, and not being able to realize one's true position. But that position is most likely awful. I looked at him, wondering if the prince were showing off but his face was mild and his eyes were mournfully following the movements of the chestnut horse racing away as though his happiness were racing away with it
apparently he was in that mood of irritation and sadness when women weep quietly for no reason and men feel a craving to complain of themselves of life of god when i got out of the chaise at the gates of the house the prince said to me a man once said wanting to annoy me that i have the face of a card sharper i have noticed that card sharpers are usually dark do you know it seems that if i really had been born a card sharper i should have remained a decent person to the day of my death for i should never have had the boldness to do wrong i tell you frankly i have had the chance once in my life of getting rich if i had told a lie a lie to myself and one woman and one other person whom i know would have forgiven me for lying i should have put into my pocket a million but i could not i hadn't the pluck from the gates we had to go to the house through the copse by a long road level as a ruler and planted on each side with thick lopped lilacs the house looked somewhat heavy tasteless like a facade on the stage it rose clumsily out of a mass of greenery and caught the eye like a great stone thrown on the velvety turf at the chief entrance I was met by a fat old footman in a green swallow-tail coat and big silver-rimmed spectacles, without making any announcement, only looking contemptuously at my dusty figure, he showed me in. As I mounted the soft-carpeted stairs, there was for some reason a strong smell of India rubber. At the top I was enveloped in an atmosphere found only in museums, in seigneurial mansions and old-fashioned merchant houses. It seemed like the smell of something long past, which had once lived and died and had left its soul in the rooms. I passed through three or four rooms on my way from the entry to the drawing-room. I remember bright yellow, shining floors, lustres wrapped in stiff muslin narrow striped rugs which stretched not straight from door to door as they usually do but along the walls so that not venturing to touch the bright floor with my muddy boots i had to describe a rectangle in each room in the drawing-room where the footman left me stood old-fashioned ancestral furniture in white covers shrouded in twilight it looked surly and elderly and as though out of respect for its repose not a sound was audible even the clock was silent it seemed as though the princess tarakanov had fallen asleep in the golden frame and the water and the rats were still and motionless through magic the daylight afraid of disturbing the universal tranquillity scarcely pierced through the lowered blinds and lay on the soft rugs in pale slumbering streaks three minutes passed and a big elderly woman in black with her cheek bandaged up 
walked noiselessly into the drawing-room she bowed to me and pulled up the blinds at once enveloped in the bright sunlight the rats and water in the picture came to life and movement princess tarakanov was awakened and the old chairs frowned gloomily her honour will be here in a minute sir sighed the old lady frowning too a few more minutes of waiting and i saw nadezhda lvovna what struck me first of all was that she certainly was ugly short scraggy and round-shouldered her thick chestnut hair was magnificent her face pure and with a look of culture in it was aglow with youth there was a clear and intelligent expression in her eyes but the whole charm of her head was lost through the thickness of her lips and the oval acute facial angle i mentioned my name and announced the object of my visit i really don't know what i am to say she said in hesitation dropping her eyes and smiling i don't like to refuse and at the same time do please i begged nadezhda lvovna looked at me and laughed i laughed too she was probably amused by what grontovsky had so enjoyed that is the right of giving or withholding permission my visit suddenly struck me as queer and strange i don't like to break the long-established rules said madame kandurin shooting has been forbidden on our estate for the last six years no she shook her head resolutely excuse me i must refuse you if i allow you i must allow others i don't like unfairness either let all or no one i am sorry i sighed it's all the sadder because we have come more than ten miles i'm not alone i added prince sergey ivanitch is with me i uttered the prince's name with no arriere pensee not prompted by any special motive or aim i simply blurted it out without thinking in the simplicity of my heart hearing the familiar name madame kandurin started and bent a prolonged gaze upon me i noticed her nose turn pale that makes no difference she said dropping her eyes as i talked to her i stood at the window that looked out on the shrubbery i could see the whole shrubbery with the avenues and the ponds and the road by which i had come at the end of the road beyond the gates the black of our chaise made a dark patch near the gate with his back to the house the prince was standing with his legs apart talking to the lanky grontovsky madame kandurin had been standing all the time at the other window she looked from time to time towards the shrubbery and from the moment i mentioned the prince's name she did not turn away from the window excuse me she said screwing up her eyes as she looked towards the road and the gate but it would be unfair to allow you only to shoot and besides what pleasure is there in shooting birds what's it for are they in your way 
a solitary life immured within four walls with its indoor twilight and heavy smell of decaying furniture disposes people to sentimentality madame kandurin's idea did her credit but i could not resist saying if one takes that line one ought to go barefoot boots are made out of the leather of slaughtered animals one must distinguish between a necessity and a caprice madame kandurin answered in a toneless voice she had by now recognized the prince and did not take her eyes off his figure it is hard to describe the delight and the suffering with which her ugly face was radiant her eyes were smiling and shining her lips were quivering and laughing while her face craned closer to the panes keeping hold of a flower-pot with both hands with bated breath and with one foot slightly lifted she reminded me of a dog pointing and waiting with passionate impatience for fetch it i looked at her and at the prince who could not tell a lie once in his life and i felt angry and bitter against truth and falsehood which plays such an elemental part in the personal happiness of men the prince started suddenly took aim and fired a hawk flying over him fluttered its wings and flew like an arrow far away he aimed too high i said and so nadezhda lvovna i sighed moving away from the window you will not permit madame kandurin was silent i have the honour to take my leave i said and i beg you to forgive my disturbing you madame kandurin would have turned facing me and had already moved through a quarter of the angle when she suddenly hid her face behind the hangings as though she felt tears in her eyes that she wanted to conceal good-bye forgive me she said softly i bowed to her back and strode away across the bright yellow floors no longer keeping to the carpet i was glad to get away from this little domain of gilded boredom and sadness and i hastened as though anxious to shake off a heavy fantastic dream with its twilight its enchanted princess its lustres at the front door a maid-servant overtook me and thrust a note into my hand shooting is permitted on showing this n k i read End of section 17 End of The Chorus Girl and Other Stories by Anton Chekhov Translated by Constance Garnett